0: 10. Making a knot about 1 inch from the end of your twine. Using the single tie like figure 65. If this does not make the knot large enough use the figure 8 knot. The single tie is sufficient in ordinary cases. Wrap your twine once around your parcel. Lapping the long twine over the knotted end as in bring the knotted end over the long twine. Forming a bite. Then over and under its own twine with the single tie. Draw the tie up close to the knot at the end. The knot prevents it from slipping off. Now the long twine may be drawn tight or loosened at will, and will hold the first wrap in place while the twine is being wrapped around the package in a different place. Cross Tie Parcel Not when you have two or more parallel twines on your parcel and have begun to bring down the cross line. Secure it to each twine in this way, bring the long twine down and loop it under the first twine to form a bite as in figure 66. Then carry the long twine over, itself forming a loop then under the first twine as in draw tight and proceed to the second twine, making the same cross tie, when you have carried your cross line entirely around the parcel, tie it securely to the first twine where it began and finish with a single tie knot, making a knot on the last end of the twine close to the fastening, to keep the end from slipping through, fisherman's knot the fisherman's knot is used by fishermen to tie silkworm gut together, it is easily untied by pulling the two short ends, but it never slips, Lay the two ropes side by side. Figure 67. Then make a loop around one rope with the other rope. Passing the end under both ropes. Bring the end over and into the loop to make a single tie. Tie the end of the second rope around the first rope in the same manner and draw both knots tight. Halter. Slip. Or running knot the halter or slip knot is often convenient. But should never be used around the neck of an animal. For if either end is pulled it will slip and tighten. thereby strangling the creature. First form a bite, then with one end of the rope make a single tie around the other rope figure 68, illustration, FGH figure 65 parcel slip knot IJK figure 66 cross tie parcel knot LMNO figure 67 Fisherman's knot half hitch if you have anything to do with horses or boats you must know how to make the proper ties for hitching the horse to a post, or a boat to a tree, stump, or anything else that is handy. The half hitch is a loop around a rope with the short end secured under the loop figure 69. This answers for a temporary, but not a secure, fastening. Timber hitch when you want a temporary fastening, secure yet easily undone. Make a timber hitch figure 70. Pass the rope around an object. Take a half hitch around the rope, and pass the short end once more between the rope and the object. Hitching tie if the hitching tie is properly made, and the knot turned to the right of the post. The stronger the pull on the long end of the rope, the tighter the hold, and the loop will not slip down even on a smooth, plain post. If the knot is turned to the left, or is directly in front, the loop will not pull tight and will slide down. For the reason that the loop will tighten, the hitching tie should never be used around the neck of the horse, as it might pull tight and the animal be strangled. In making the hitching tie, first pass the rope from left to right around the post, tree or stump, bring it together and hold in the left hand. The left hand is represented by the arrow figure 71. With the right hand throw the short end of the rope across the ropes in front of the left hand, forming a loop below the left hand figure 72. Slip the right hand through this loop, grasp the rope just in front, and pull it back to form a bite. As you make a chain stitching crocheting figure 73, down through this last bite past the end of the rope and pull the knot tight figure 74. Chapter XI Accident Sprains, Bruises, Burns, Cuts, Sunstroke, Drowning One learns quickly how to take care of oneself while on the trail, and serious accidents seldom occur. In fact, every member of the party takes pride in keeping herself free from accident, it is so like a tenderfoot to get hurt. However, it is well to be prepared in case accidents do occur, and this chapter is intended to forearm you that you may not stand helplessly by when your aid is needed. Sprains and bruises The best immediate treatment for ordinary sprains and bruises is the application of cloths dipped in very hot water. This takes out the soreness and prevents inflammation. As soon as one application cools a little, a hot one should take its place. As hot as can be borne without scalding the flesh, very cold water can be used when hot is not obtainable. For a sprained ankle or wrist continue this treatment for a while and then bind smoothly and firmly with a clean cotton bandage keep as quiet as possible with a strained ankle, and if the accident occurs when on a walk the fireman's lift may be used for carrying the injured person to camp, fireman's lift to be able to use the fireman's lift may be to save a life, as it can be employed when there is but one person to do the carrying, with practice any girl of ordinary strength can lift and carry another of her own size or even larger, in order to make the lift easy, instruct the patient to relax all her muscles and become perfectly limp. Then turn her on her face. Stand over her body with one foot at each side. Face toward the patient's head. Lean forward and place your hands under her arms. Then gently raise her to her knees. Next slide your hands quickly down around her body at the low waistline. Lifting her at the same time to her feet. Immediately grasp her right wrist with your left hand. And pass your head under her right arm and your right arm under one or both of her knees. Shifting the patient's hips well on your shoulders. Rise to a standing position and carry patient away. Cuts the accidents that most frequently happen are simple cuts and bruises. For a slight cut wash the wound in lukewarm water to remove all dirt or foreign matter. Then press the lips or sides together and hold them in place with strips of court plaster or surgeon's adhesive plaster. Do not cover the entire wound with the plaster, but put strips across at right angles with the cut, leaving a space between every two strips and using only enough plaster to keep the cut closed. Cover the hurt part with a bandage to protect it from further injury. When an artery is cut When an artery is cut the wound is more serious and the bleeding must be stopped immediately. When the blood comes from an artery it is bright red in color and flows copiously in spurts or jets. The blood in the arteries is flowing away from the heart. Therefore you must stop it between the cut and the heart. It is the arteries in the arms and legs that are most likely to be injured. In the arm the large artery runs down the inner side of the upper arm. In the leg the artery runs down the inner side of the upper leg. The tourniquet to stop the bleeding press the artery above the wound firmly with your fingers while someone prepares a tourniquet. Use a handkerchief, a necktie, or anything of the kind for a tourniquet, tie it loosely around the limb and in the bandage place a smooth stone or something that will take its place, adjusting it just above your fingers on the artery, then slip a strong Slender stick about 10 inches long under the bandage at the outer side of the arm or leg and turn the stick around like the hand of a clock, until the stone presses the artery just as your fingers did. Tie the stick above and below the bandage to keep it from untwisting. Do not forget that the tourniquet is cutting off circulation, and for this to continue very long is dangerous. It is not safe to keep it on more than one hour without loosening. If the hand or foot grows cold and numb before that time loosen the tourniquet and rub briskly to restore circulation. Should the wound begin to bleed again when the tourniquet is loosened, be ready to tighten at once. In case of an accident of this kind summon a physician. If one can be reached quickly, if not, take the patient to the nearest doctor. For the artery must be tied as soon as possible and only a physician or skillful trained nurse can do that part of the work. Emergency stretchers loss of blood is too weakening to permit of the patient walking, and the exertion may start the wound bleeding again, so a stretcher of some kind must be contrived in which she may be carried, you can make a good emergency stretcher of two strong poles of greenwood, one large blanket, and the everfull horse blanket safety pins, the poles should be about 6 feet long, of a size to clasp easily in your hand, and as smooth as they can be made with hurried work, they should, at least, be free from jagged stumps or branches and twigs. Begin by folding the blanket through the middle over one of the poles. Then pin the blanket together with the large safety pins, with the pins about 6 inches apart, to hold the pole in place. That finishes one side, for the other. Lap the two edges of the blanket over the second pole and pin them down like a hem. The stretcher will be of double thickness and will hold the injured person comfortably. If a serious accident should occur some distance from camp and there are no blankets to use, do not hesitate to appropriate for a stretcher whatever you have with you. When there is nothing else cut your khaki skirt into strips about 12 inches wide and tie the ends to two poles. The poles need not be smooth except at the ends, leaving spaces between burns and scalds. Personally I have repudiated the old method of treating simple burns and scalds and, instead of applying oil or flour, have discovered for myself that simply holding a slightly burned finger or hand in a running stream of cold water not only gives instant relief but prevents the pain from returning in any severity. Care of the injured part to prevent the skin from breaking and causing a sore is the only thing left to be done. However, here are the ordinary remedies for burns. Any of the following things spread over a piece of linen or soft cotton cloth are said to be good: olive oil, carbolized gasoline, fresh lard, cream, flour and baking soda, for serious burns a physician should be called, heat prostration and sunstroke this will seldom occur in a camp of healthy girls whose stomachs and blood are in good order, but it is best not to expose oneself to the fierce rays of the sun during a period of intense heat, or directly after eating, in case anyone is overcome and complains of feeling faint, and of dizziness and throbbing head, take her where it is cool, in the shade if possible, lay her down, loosen her clothing, and apply cold water to her face and head. She will probably be able to walk when she revives, but if not, carry her home or into camp. Do not give whiskey, brandy, or any stimulants, cinder or foreign substance in the eye as a rule. All that is necessary to remove something in your eyes to take the eyelashes of the upper lid between your thumb and forefinger and pull the lid down over the lower one. The lower lashes thus shut in combined with the tears that flood the eye, will clean the eye in most cases. If the cinder or other substance is embedded in the upper lid, roll back the lid over a match the sulfur and taken off. Then moisten a corner of a handkerchief and with it remove the cinder. If this treatment does not avail and the substance cannot be removed, put a drop of olive oil in the eye. Close it and cover with a soft bandage. Then go to a physician. Do not put anything stiff or hard into the eye. Fainting Fainting occurs most often in overheated and overcrowded places where the air is impure. The proper treatment is to lay the patient flat on her back with the head lower than the rest of the body and feet raised, then loosen the clothes at waist and neck, sprinkle the face and neck with cold water, and hold smelling salts or ammonia to the nostrils, insist upon giving her all the fresh air possible, it is good also to rub the limbs with the motion upward toward the body, drowning Schaefer method secure a doctor if possible, but do not wait for him, do not wait for anything, while you do, do instantly. As soon as the rescued person is out of the water begin treatment to restore respiration. That island to make her breathe. If you can do this her life will probably be saved. Not until the patient breathes naturally must you work to bring warmth and circulation to the body. To promote circulation before the patient breathes naturally may endanger her life. First quickly loosen the clothes at waist and neck. Then turn the patient face downward on the ground with face either downward or turn to one side arms extended above the head, and with chest raised slightly from the ground and resting upon your folded skirt, also place something beneath her forehead to erase her nose and mouth from the ground, this will allow the tongue to fall forward, if it does not, grasp it with handkerchief and pull forward, this will permit the water to run out and will provide room for breathing, as in cases of fainting, so with drowning patient, she must have all the air possible, for she is being suffocated with water. So do not allow a crowd to form around her. Keep everyone back except those assisting in the actual work of restoration. With the patient in the position described, kneel by her side or, better still, astride of her, and let your hands fall into the spaces between the short ribs. With your fingers turned outward and your weight falling upon the palms of your hands, press steadily downward and forward to expel the air from the lungs. Hold this position a fraction of a second. Count four. Then gradually release the pressure to allow the air to enter again through the throat. Count 4. And again press down. Continue this treatment for a while. Then, using another method, slip your hands under the patient at the waistline and lift her up sufficiently to allow her head to hang down as an illustration. Lower her gently and lift again. Do this several times. You will find that the movement will force the water from the lungs out of the mouth and help to produce artificial respiration. Return to the first method and continue the treatment until the breath comes naturally. It may be an hour or two before there are any signs of life such as a gasp or slight movement. Then the breath must be carefully aided by more gentle pressure until it comes easily without help. Do not give up hope. And do not stop working. The work may be continued many hours if done in relays. That island several girls taking part, each one in her turn. Remember. however. The treatment must be continuous and no time be allowed to elapse when the change is being made. After respiration begins with returning breath the first corner in recovery has been turned. But the after treatment is very important. To restore circulation, begin by rubbing the limbs upward with a firm pressure. This sends the blood to the heart. Warmth must now be supplied by blankets heated before a fire. And hot stones or bricks may be placed at the thighs and at the soles of the feet. Or the patient should be wrapped in a warm blanket placed on a stretcher, carried to camp, or to a house, and put to bed, here hot water bottles may be used, and as soon as it is possible for her to swallow, if nothing else can be obtained, give a little strong, hot coffee, and sweetened and without milk, lastly, keep the patient quiet and let her sleep, nosebleed the simplest method of stopping the nosebleed is to hold something cold on the back of the neck a large Q will do and pinch the nostrils together, also cool the forehead with water and hold the arms above the head this is usually effective chapter xii camp fun and frolics active sports and games evenings in camp around the campfire quiet games songs and stories lighting fires without a match camp fun should have a place and an important one in your plans for the trail for the time being the camp is your home and it should never be allowed to become dull for want of a little gaiety and wholesome amusement In a permanent camp there will be days when the entire party will be loafing and then is the time to start a frolic of some kind. Obstacle races competitive sports are always entertaining, and races, of one kind or another, are the most exciting. The Boy Scouts had a race in which the competitors dropped first their staffs, then their hats, their neckties, leggings, and, finally struggling out of the blouse of their uniform, they dropped that also. All this must be done while on the way and before they cross a given line. At the line they turn to go back over the course and, while running, take up their various belongings and put them on before they reach the home goal. A race planned on these lines will be most amusing. A smooth course is not necessary. You probably won't have it at camp. And to get over the uneven ground, with the detentions of first dropping, then picking up the articles dropped, will add to the excitement of the sport. An entertaining variation of this will be to have those taking part in the race appear in impromptu costumes worn over the ordinary dress which they must remove piece by piece as they run and put the things all on again while returning over the course. Such hastily adjusted costumes cannot help but be funny. Medals The winner of the race should be given a medal as a prize. The medal can be made of any handy material. A tin circular disc cut from the top of a tin can will do. Drive a nail through the tin metal near the edge and pass a string through the hole so that it may be hung around the neck of the winner. Or instead of giving a medal, the victor may be crowned, like the ancient Greeks, with a wreath of leaves. Blindfold obstacle walk Another amusing camp sport is the blindfold obstacle walk. Place six or eight good-sized stones on the ground in a row, about two feet apart. The stones should be flat on top so that you can stand a tin cup filled with water on each stone. Let one member of the party make a trial trip over the cups, stepping between them as she passes down the row, then blindfold her, place two people as a guard, one on each side of her, to hold her hands and prevent a fall, and let them lead her to the end of the line of cups and tell her to go over it again, the guard will steady her in case she stumbles but must in no way guide her course aright, the stepper will step high and be absurdly careful not to kick over one of the cups, for wet feet would probably be the result. Sometimes the stepper will leave the line of her own accord, sometimes her guard will purposely, and without her knowing it, lead her off the course and then her careful. High steps over nothing add to the fun of the onlookers. Any number may take part in the sport, and in turn act as stepper. At the end a prize should be given by vote to the one who afforded the greatest amusement. Hunting the quail this is something like the old game of hide and seek, with which all girls are familiar, and it will not be difficult to learn. The players are divided into, hunter, and, quails, the hunter is, it, and any counting out rhyme will decide who is to take that part, when the hunter, with closed eyes, has counted her hundred, and the quails had scurried away to their hiding places behind trees, bushes, or rocks, the hunt begins, and at the same time begins the cry of the quails, bob white, bob white, bob white, these calls, coming from every direction, are very bewildering, and the hunter must be alert to detect the direction of one particular sound and quick to see the flight of a quail and catch her before she can reach the home goal and find shelter there. The first quail qua becomes hunter in her turn, and the noisy, rollicking game continues as long as the players wish. Another romping game is called Trotting Horse it is warranted to put in circulation even the most sluggish blood and to warm the coldest feet, and it is fine for the almost frosty weather we sometimes had in the mountains. The players form a circle in marching order, that island each girl faces the back of another, with a space between every two players. Trotting Horse, the it of the game, stands in the center of the circle. When she gives the signal, the players forming the circle begin to run round and round, keeping the circle intact, while Trotting Horse, always trotting, tries to slip between the ranks, which close up to prevent her escape. Trotting Horse must trot, not run. If she runs when making her escape she must go back into the ring and try once more to break away. When she succeeds fairly in getting through the ranks the player in front of whom she slips becomes it and takes the place of trotting horse. Wood tennis Wood tennis is of the woods. Woodsy. Green pine cones take the place of balls, hands, of rackets, and branches, of tennis net. Lay out a regular tennis court by scraping the lines in the earth, or outlining the boundaries with sticks or other convenient materials. Build a net of branches by sticking the ends in the ground, and collect a number of smooth, green cones for balls. Wood tennis must, of necessity, differ somewhat from the regulation game. Since pine cones will not bounce and there are no rackets for striking them, they must be tossed across the net, caught in the hands, and quickly tossed back. In other respects the rules of the established game may be used entire or simplified if desired, around the campfire when darkness creeps through the woods. Closing in closer and closer, when it blots out, one by one, the familiar landmarks and isolates the little camp in a sea of night. With the mutual wish for nearer companionship, we gather around the campfire, the one light in all the great darkness. We are grateful for its warmth, as the evenings are chill, and its cheery blaze and crackle bring a feeling of honeyness and comfort welcome to everyone. If there are men in the party they light their pipes and then begin the stories of past experiences on the trail which are of the keenest interest to all campers. These stories, told while one gazes dreamily into the glowing coals of the fire or looks beyond the light into the mysterious blackness of the forest, have a charm that is wanting under different surroundings. The stories are not confined to the men. For in these days when girls and women are also on the trail, they too can relate things worth the telling. Songs then come the songs. If there is someone in the party who can lead in singing, she can use a familiar air with a rousing chorus as a frame upon which to hang impromptu verses, made up of personalities and local hits. This is always fun and you are surprised how quickly doggerel rhymes suggest themselves when your turn comes to furnish a verse to the song. The leader begins something like this, using, perhaps, the air and refrain of an old shanty or college song. Leader, I spotted a beaver, but he wasn't very my. Chorus, don't you rock so hard? Second soloist, his fur was all ragged and he had but one eye. Chorus, don't you rock so hard. Oh, you rock and I rock. And don't you rock so hard. Everybody rocks when I rock. And don't you rock so hard. Third soloist, you may laugh at the beaver, but he's always up to time. Chorus, don't you rock so hard. Fourth soloist, oh, do drop the beaver and start a new rhyme chorus as before a song like this may go on indefinitely or until the rhyming powers of the party are exhausted. Bird call match in a camp where the members are all familiar with the calls of the various wild birds. A bird call match makes a charming game when the party is gathered around the campfire. The leader begins by whistling or singing the call of a wild bird, if it can be put into a word so much the better. For instance, we will take the first few notes of the wood thrush which F. Schuyler Matthews has put into notes and words as follows, or the yellow-throat vireo, which he gives in this way, if the leader is correct the next player gives the call of another bird. When a player gives a bird call which is known to be incorrect that island absolutely wrong and someone else can supply the proper rendering. The first player is dropped from the game just as a person is dropped out of a spelling match when she misspells a word. If there is no one who can give the call correctly, she retains her place. This is excellent training in woodcraft as well as a fascinating game. Your ears will be quickened to hear and to identify the bird calls by playing it, and storing bird notes in your memory for use in the next bird call match will become a habit. Vary the game You can vary this game by giving the calls of wild animals and the characteristic noises they make when frightened or angry. Living even for a short time in the wild will develop unsuspected faculties and qualities in your makeup and to perfect yourself in knowledge of the woods and its inhabitants will seem of the utmost importance. While learning the cries of birds and animals in sport, you will wish to retain them in earnest, and to enter the wilderness equipped with some knowledge of its languages, will open vistas to you that the more ignorant cannot penetrate. Lighting the fire without a match of fire lighting contest is the best of camp sports, for it requires practice and skill, and to excel in it is to acquire distinction among all outdoor people. There are girls in the Girl Pioneers organization who are as proficient in lighting a fire without matches as any of the boy scouts who make much of the feat. Bow and drill method The bow and drill method is the most popular among girls and boys alike. And for this, as for all other ways of lighting a fire, you must have the proper appliances and will probably have to make them yourself. And like the bow used for archery, the fire bow is not to be bent by the bowstring string but must have a permanent curve. Choose a piece of sapling about 18 or 20 inches long which curves evenly. Cut a notch around it at each end and at the notched places attach a string of rawhide of the kind used as shoe strings in hunting shoes. Tie the bow string to the bow in the manner shown in figure 75. And allow it to hang loosely. It must not be taut as for archery. To the bow must be added the twirling stick and fireboard figure 76. Make these of spruce. The twirling stick. Scandal or fire drill should be a little over half an inch in diameter and sixteen inches long. Its sides may be rounded or beveled in six or seven flat spaces like a lead pencil. As shown in figure 76. Cut the top end to a blunt point and sharpen the bottom end as you would a lead pencil. Leaving the lead blunt. To hold the spindle you must have something to protect your hand. A piece of soapstone or a piece of very hardwood will answer. This is called the socket block. In the wood or stone make a hole for a socket that will hold the top end of the spindle figure 76. The flat piece of spruce for your fireboard should be about 2 feet long and a little less than 1 inch thick. Cut a number of triangular notches in one edge of the board as in figure 76. Make the outer end of each notch about half an inch wide. And at the inner end make a small cup-like hole large enough to hold the lower end of the twirling stick. This is called the fire pit. The reason you are to have so many notches is because when one hole becomes too much enlarged by the drilling of the twirling stick, or is bored all the way through, it is discarded and there must be others ready and prepared for immediate use. Tinder all is now ready for creating a spark, but that spark cannot live alone, it must have something it can ignite before there will be a flame. What is wanted is Tinder, and Tinder can be made of various materials, all of which must be absolutely dry. Here is one receipt for making tinder given by Daniel C. Beard. The tinder is composed of baked and blackened cotton and linen rags. The best way to prepare these rags is to bake them until they are dry as dust. Then place them on the hearth and touch a match to them. As soon as they burst into flame, smother the flame with a folded newspaper. Then carefully put your punk-baked and charred rags into a tin tobacco box or some other receptacle where it will keep dry and be ready for use. This can be prepared at home in the woods gather some of the dry inner bark of the cedar, the fine, stringy edges of white or yellow birch, and dry grasses, and dry them thoroughly at the campfire. Mr. Beard also says, you can prepare tinder from dry, inflammable woods or barks by grinding or pounding them between two flat stones. If you grind up some charcoal taken from your campfire very fine to mix with it. This will make it all the more inflammable. A good, Safe method to get a flame from your fine tinder is to wrap up a small amount of it in the shredded bark of birch or cedar, so that you may hold it in your hand until it ignites from the embers produced by the saw. With all your material at hand for starting a fire, make one turn around the spindle, with the bowstring, as in figure 76. Place the point of the lower end of the spindle in the small hole or fire pit at the inside end of a notch in the fireboard. Fit the socket block on the top end of the spindle figure 76. And hold it in place with one hand. As shaman figure 77, grasp one end of the bow with the other hand and saw it back and forth. This will whirl the spindle rapidly and cause the friction which makes the heat that produces the spark. When it begins to smoke, fan it with your hand and light your tinder from the sparks. Without the bow, figure 78 shows a method which is the same as figure 77. The only difference being that the bow is dispensed with, the hands alone being used for twirling the spindle. While simpler, it is very difficult to put sufficient force and speed into the work to produce fire, and it is a very tiresome process. Another way is shown in figure 79. It will take two girls to a work in this fashion. The spindle is whirled by pulling the leather shoestring back and forth. One girl holds the spindle and steadies the fireboard while the other does the twirling. The plow it is more difficult to produce fire by the plow method than with the bow, but it can be done. Be a plan.